0: Hey, Seattle, we'll see you Thursday, January 16th at the Moore Theater in San Francisco. We're going to be at the Castro on January 18th. When else, Chuck? Uh, that is it, man. January 18th at the Castro, our annual trip to Sketchfest.
1: We love performing there. We have great crowds there. Go get a ticket if you want to come see me at Movie Crush the next night on Sunday in a small venue where you can shake my hand and hug my neck. I would welcome that as well.
0: Well, that's what I was setting you up for when I said, what else? <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, We'll see you guys. You can get all the info and tickets you need on SYSKLive.com or SFSketchFest.com.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W., Chuck Bryant, Jerry's not here. But all of these beautiful, wonderful people are at Plaza Live in Orlando, Florida.
1: This is Arsenio Hall stuff going on back there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Woo, woo, woo. I like Florida. Um, yeah, woo indeed. Thank you for that.
1: Toto's playing here next week. That's awesome. I could relive my uh, childhood. Yeah,
0: puke on the sand, people pulling up their shirts. For those of you at home, you'll just never... Yeah, we you'll never explain. get it.
1: <laughs> Jerry just cut all that out. Yeah,
0: right. So uh, before we get started, actually, if you guys will indulge me, I would like to dedicate this show uh, to a very special woman named Alice Harrison, who also happens to have been Yumi's grandma. And she passed on Monday. So she is actually a fellow Floridian. She lived outside of Tampa for most of her life. (laughs) Um, had like parrots and peacocks, like super Florida, right? (laughs) And she was just a very wonderful woman. So I want to dedicate this show to Alice Harrison in her memory, everyone. Very nice. Thanks. Thanks for that. And Yumi's here and she's very proud of you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hi, Yumi. Um, so, uh, We didn't really just bring you here to talk about Yumi's grandma exclusively. (laughs) We asked you all here tonight to talk to you about legends, and in particular, one legend. No. (laughs) Oh
1: man, the crowd shouter is rarely funny. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) This legend—it wasn't some drunk,
0: right? Already beeping this early in the show. not I know. That's the last one you get, though. So uh, this legend was even better than Zelda. This legend's name was Andre the Giant. And by the
1: way, if you're not a fan... I know this is Florida, but if you're not a fan of wrestling...
0: <laughs> They're like, what are, you, what are you talking about?
1: Fear not. I'm not a fan of wrestling. You're not a real fan of wrestling. No. This is interesting stuff. We wouldn't bring you something... Uh, so niche that only wrestling fans would enjoy. Right. Trust us. In
0: fact, you can make the case that if you are a wrestling fan, you might not like this yeah, show. Yeah, just excuse yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so to start at the beginning, Andre the Giant was not born Andre the Giant. He was born Andre Rene Roussimoff on May 19th, 1946 in Columiere, France, which is a town that is close to where he was raised in a French farming town called Moulinne. I'm sorry, I don't have peanut butter in my mouth. (laughs) Moulin. And um, in Moulin, he was raised by his parents, Boris and Marianne Rusimov, who were of uh, Bulgarian and Polish descent, respectively. And he was the third of five siblings. And he was born at 11 pounds, which we're told is kind of big.
1: I heard a couple of women gasp.
0: (laughs) Yeah, someone sucked air through their teeth.
1: Yeah, Boris Rusimov. I'm surprised he's Bulgarian. With that name.
0: Terry <laughs> cut that one. You can't just cut everything. Sure we can. You've got to put yourself out there. Live on the edge. Like that. Boris Rusimov's Bulgarian? Who would have thunk it? There you go.
1: All right. Who would have thunk it? Cut that one, too. No. So there were a family of farmers and he worked on the family farm as did all the kids. I think he was the third of five children. And, uh, here's one thing that may or may not be true, but an interesting little tidbit we'll throw out. Uh, supposedly when he was in school, along with the other children, uh, they in rural France. Uh, they would occasionally get rides in the pickup truck to
0: school from playwright Samuel Beckett. Yeah. Right. That's the appropriate <laughs> response to that. Like a little surprised, but not like totally blown away.
1: Uh, But little Andre, who was never little because he was 11 pounds at birth, he began to grow very early. Uh, All of his siblings and even his parents were all just sort of average size, so no one knew what was coming when little Andre, by the age of 12, was six feet tall and weighed 240 pounds.
0: Yes. (laughs) And so his parents, being farmers, were like, yes. yeah, (laughs) We have an ox. Yeah. For our third child. (laughs) And uh, they were pretty happy about this. And Andre said, don't get too comfortable because in two years, I'm going to quit school in eighth grade and go find my fortunes in Paris. And he did. And it's one of those things where when you're researching and telling people that he went to Paris to find his fortunes after dropping out of eighth grade, if you stop and think about that, imagine letting your 14-year-old son move to Paris by himself to go find his fortune. It's a different
1: time. Those are cool parents. Very cool parents. So, or maybe they just didn't miss him. They had four others wandering I, around.
0: No, but I'm sure that they tried to talk him out of it. They're like, you swing a scythe like no one I've ever seen. <laughs> Who's going to pull the cart? <laughs> right. So he did. He actually started to find his fortunes. Not the best fortunes, but he found some. He started moving furniture. Go, you know, go figure. He just kind of threw, uh, threw couches through the doorways, upstairs, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and then later he became a professional rugby player. Um, which is okay. It's getting closer and closer. But rugby actually led him inadvertently and accidentally into the world of wrestling.
1: That's right. Because he trained at a gym as a rugby player, along with uh, some other wrestlers. There were wrestlers that trained there with him. And one day, one of the wrestlers got hurt. They looked around the gym and they said, Hey, huge human, (laughs) come over here. Forget rugby. You should wrestle with us. Because it was France, and they say wrestle. Sure they do. Uh, and he did, and he really took to it. And before you know it, he was touring as a pro wrestler in Japan, Africa, and New Zealand.
0: Yeah. And in Japan in particular, he had this persona named, um, what was it, Monster Rusimov?
1: Well, he had a few names, right?
0: Yeah. Um, he, well, he wrestled under... Uh, the
1: Butcher was one.
0: Yeah, Andre the Butcher Rusimov, so-so. One was the French Giant, which is way too on the nose. Yeah. It's just like uh, the American podcaster if I were a wrestler or something (laughs) like that. you know. And then another, can you imagine? I would get my ass kicked every match. (laughs) Not if you
1: were right in the match. It's fake, by the way, everybody. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, (laughs) I guess we should just cut to the chase. Wrestling is fake. Yes. End of the podcast. Um, And then the other one, Chuck, what was the third one?
1: Well, the third one, I think we can all agree is the best, maybe best wrestling name of all time. Monster Eiffel Tower.
0: <laughs> you imagine? Like, what does it do? Is, like, the the second the gap between the second and third stories, like the mouth that eats you? I guess you. so. There's or no arms. It bends over and, like, like yeah. jabs you or something? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense if you really think about it. It's pretty good, though. They ate it up in Japan, though. They did. So, in Japan, he had a different name, Monster Rusimov. And Rusamov was what uh, in wrestling parlance is called a heel, a bad guy, right? And in Japan, Andre really ate that up. Like in the ring and outside of the ring, um, at matches, he would, he would taunt the fans. On the street, so he was a big celebrity. On the street, um, if somebody took a picture of him, he'd chase him down and break their camera. <laughs> he loved being a heel, right? All in good fun. Right. <laughs> Tell that to the Japanese guy who had to go buy another camera because Monster Rusimov broke the other one and none of his friends would believe him.
1: So uh, he eventually went to Europe to wrestle and there he wrestled under the name Jean Ferre, which is a play on the term or the name Grand Faire, who was a hero in French folklore who would kill English invaders uh, or colonial.
0: Colon- I can never say that word. Colonial. Colonists? <laughs> You're adding like five or six extra syllables. Colonialists. Colonists. No, colonialists. No, that's just wrong. <laughs> Who says colonialists? Yeah, colonialism. They're colonialists, right? No, now colonists. I'm saying it like a bird. Colonists. Guys, no. colonists, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm not losing my mind. Chuck co- is. Colonialists. Right here in front of everybody. I swear it a melting colonialists. down.
1: Colonialists. <laughs> this usually doesn't happen until later in the show. <laughs> Someone's snorting. I love it. It makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> so regardless of what they called the English invaders.
0: Colonists.
1: <laughs> in folklore, Grand Fair would kill them with an axe. And he was this big French hero right. in the storybooks. And so Jean Fair was a play on that name.
0: Right. And so when he became Jean Fair, he became a hero in the wrestling world, right. or what's known as a baby face or a face. So you got heels and faces. Good like guys. Everyone in this room doesn't know that already, right? <laughs> so uh, as Jean Fair, he became pretty big around Europe, so much so that there's a, a legend that he told himself once uh, in an interview we read uh, where he went back home, uh, like age 19, I think. So it had been about five years since he left home. Yeah. He went back home after he'd made it. He shows up in a Rolls Royce, goes up to the door and knocks on it and says, hey, how are you doing, Mom and Dad? And they didn't recognize him at first, but they did recognize Jean Fair, their favorite wrestler, who had just shown up on their doorstep and said, I'm your son. They had been watching him all this time, and Andre the Giant had changed so much they didn't recognize him, they just became fans of Jean Ferre. I really want to believe that. I do too. Even if it's BS, it's still a pretty great story. But it'd be like if, if like, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin showed up on your doorstep and was like, I'm your son. It's basically the same, the same thing. It's just a different person. That's right. You're <laughs> really trying to keep it together here, everybody.
1: Yeah, this is good. Florida's forgiving. (laughs) God, this didn't happen in Maine.
0: We have to cut that part out. Those Mainers will come for us. I've seen that. I I know what you did
1: last summer. Four people asleep in the audience in Maine. We've seen that before. It's very disconcerting. Just so you know, if you're in the first five rows, please just stay awake. I'm used to it. You don't even have to laugh. Just stay awake. (laughs) That's your job tonight. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) If you see your partner start to fall asleep, just. (laughs) Give him one of those. It's very disconcerting. (laughs) Basically, we're watching you is what we're trying to say. So around 1970, uh, Andre was working with a man named Edouard Carpentier, the flying Frenchman. And he was a wrestler, believe it or not, turned promoter. And he claimed, and there are a lot of tall tales in this story, and we're not sure which ones are true. But he claimed that he met Andre when he was driving down the road in France, and there was a redwood tree that had fallen, and Andre emerged and moved the tree.
0: I think that one might not be true. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, though. That's a good story, but that's not true. But he figures in very important
1: uh, to Andre's life because he took him to uh, Quebec to wrestle Le Jean Faire and made a very important introduction to a man named Vince McMahon Sr.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Vince McMahon Sr., for those of you, the five of you who don't know who he is... He was a big-time wrestling promoter at a time when wrestling in America was regional, right? It was not a nationwide thing. It was the the country was cut up into different regions. And Vince McMahon was the head of the uh, Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF. Because apparently Vince McMahon didn't know that worldwide is one word. That's right. They put it on marketing materials and everything. He he would go on to shorten that later. (laughs) Yeah. Later on, his son would correct the massive spelling error that his father had started years before. But before that, Mr. McMahon had this really great idea. He said, you, Jean Fair, we're going to change that name in a minute. You are really something special. Rather than put you on one circuit or one town or whatever, just sticking to one region where you're going to you know, be huge at first and then just kind of become whatever, just a so-so guy. I'm going to take you from region to region around the country and promote you and he did, and in doing so, Andre the Giant became one of the nation's first wrestling stars because he went from town to town, and it was a big deal when he came to town every time.
1: Yeah, it was a really big deal. They would start uh, promoting the storylines ahead of time because, as we said, wrestling is fake. So they would drum up these stories about this giant that would come to town and because all the heels were getting out of hand in Memphis or in Jacksonville or wherever. And so they would bring in Andre... To get them all in line and the big giant's going to come into town. He's a good guy and he's huge and no one's ever seen anything like him. And that really got people in the seats in a big, big way.
0: Like the promoters would charge more than, than was normal because they knew that people were going to pay it to come see Andre set the universe right again. Right. Um, in America, he finally got the name Andre the Giant. I believe it was Vince McMahon Sr. who gave who gave him that name. And he debuted in 1973 at Madison Square Gardens as Andre the Giant. And he was billed as the eighth wonder of the world, at seven feet four inches, 520 pounds. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: He wrestled, I think, between uh, 450 and 520, 550 for most of his career, except at the end. Uh, in WrestleMania three, there are reports that he weighed as much as six fifty. What? And you could tell he was not in the best of shape at that point.
0: No. Well, he was six fifty.
1: Yeah. This story will will get sad at some point, so just get ready.
0: His height. Sorry. His <laughs> height. His height is in dispute. Basically, there are people who've dedicated entire websites to trying to prove that Andre the Giant was seven feet four inches. But most credible sources say no, he's about six feet seven inches. Um, some people say. Maybe he was toward the end of his career, but he underwent back surgery in 1986 and they removed some vertebrae there. So he was seven foot four inches and they shrunk him down to six foot seven inches. And most people say, you live in your mom's basement, don't you? (laughs) And that ends the argument every single time. I'm not a back surgeon. I don't think that's how that works. I don't think it's how (laughs) one vertebrae out. (laughs) dink. Uh, let's get another one out. The good news is your back
1: won't hurt, but you're eight inches shorter. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. So uh, he was truly enormous, though. There are other great stories. Uh, one is that his wrists were nearly a foot in diameter.
0: <laughs> right? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> and we're like, so everybody, this is plainly obvious, an enormous wrist. But we had no frame of reference. Except for my tiny wrist. Right, which we know is not a foot. Mine's not either. No. Um, So we went to the slenderwrist.com and asked. That is a real website. Yeah, it is. We said, what is the average human man's wrist circumference? And we found out it's seven inches, 7.4 inches. (laughs) So his is about five inches bigger around than the average man's wrist, which is huge. Which I guess we should have just stuck to a foot in circumference, (laughs) and I shouldn't have explained that into the ground.
1: Well, I just like knowing there's a website called (laughs) theslenderwrist.com, and that I'm not on it. (laughs) So he wore a size 26 wrestling boot. Uh, Just for comparison, Shaquille O'Neal is a very large man, started out his career playing for a little team called the Orlando Magic. Yeah. He wears a 22. Andre wore a 26. Yeah. So, uh, what else? There were other legends. He could pass a silver dollar coin through his rings. Uh, And then another one that I don't think is true, that he had two hearts and multiple rows of teeth. Like a monster.
0: And apparently, Ric Flair, the nature boy, um, (laughs) knew that was coming. We're in the right place. Yeah. He, uh, he believed both of those, the heart one and the teeth one, and whenever he was talking to Andre the Giant, he said that he was like kind of try to look into his mouth while he was talking. <laughs> We've met Ric Flair. He totally believed that. Yeah. We can attest. He,
1: for some reason, was a guest star on our TV show that we had.
0: Maybe that was one reason why it wasn't so great. <laughs> no, I think he was the reason it wasn't totally terrible. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was a good little guest appearance. We found out the day of that he was coming to shoot. That's right.
1: It's a weird day. So uh, he was ridiculously strong, though. Uh, he would do this little party trick where when his friends were in a bar, he would move their cars, these little small European cars. Like, like, not with the keys. Right. He would pick it up and move it.
0: <laughs> he also, there's footage of him lifting a 2,000-pound weight. Like, you try to lift 2,000 pounds, you can't do it. Has, has anyone ever tried to lift two thousand pounds? I've not tried. To well, lift. believe me, you can't do it. I've and not tried just, to lift twenty pounds. He's sitting there picking, picking up a two thousand. I mean, I presume it was a two thousand pound weight. It was a weight that said two thousand pounds on it. <laughs> what weight lies, you know?
1: And it wasn't a cartoon.
0: The thing, right? The thing is, he, um, he, he was feared because of his strength by other wrestlers, not because he was known to be like a malicious brutal guy but because just one slip in wrestling you he could really injure somebody but he almost never did because he had he was a genuinely good wrestler that's one of the things about Andre the Giant confetti yeah there's confetti there's been this steady stream of confetti just no, kind of falling the whole I think time the flaming lips might have played here last night <laughs> <laughs> so Andre the Giant was a legitimately good wrestler. Oh, sure. Yeah, end of that paragraph. So his, uh,
1: his English was never great. You know, he was born and raised in France and could speak English, but not, not the greatest. And he also uh, just put a pin in this. He had a medical condition that we're going to get back to later. But because of that condition as well, enunciating was a little difficult for him. So a lot of people thought that he was just this big dummy, this Big brute. And that was not true at all. He was a very smart guy, very savvy businessman, a great showman, uh, very observant, very shrewd. He was not just some big oaf in a singlet.
0: Right. No, he wasn't. Um, To help him, though, with that language barrier when he moved from Quebec down in North America or down in the United States, I guess technically Quebec is in North America. (laughs) Technically. Um, He hired a guy named Frank Valois. And Frank Valois was a referee on the Quebec circuit who served as his interpreter. Um, and he, he hung out with him for a few years and then he just became like a friend of his rather than somebody he worked with. And that was kind of par for the course with Andre the Giant. Compared to other sports stars, he had a very small, uh, if non-existent, entourage. He didn't have the hangers-on and the toadies and the lackeys and the agents and like the, the drug dealers or whoever else you have hanging around you if you're a Yeah, he star. never took steroids. No, no. Um, he was... A bit of a loner, but the friends he had were like true, legitimate friends. So he was kind of an anomaly in that sense in the sports world.
1: Yeah, and apparently he did have a very pretty strict list. Uh, and you were either a friend or you were an enemy. And once you were on that list, you were kind of on it for life. Uh, his list of friends was very long because he was a good guy and yeah. really loved people. But he did have a few enemies in the, uh, in the wrestling world. Uh, one was Big John Stud, who was another very large man who wrestled. And he allegedly called Andre a circus freak once. Once. And as you will see as we go on, Andre was a very sensitive guy about his size. And he didn't want to be called a circus freak.
0: <laughs> Who does? It's <Well, laughs> a good point. Um, he also uh, had a thing with the Iron Sheik for reasons that are unclear. Um, he also had a very long-standing beef with Randy the Macho Man Savage.
1: That's right. And this one uh, boils down to the fact that Randy liked to oil up. <laughs> he would baby oil himself, which was a common thing in wrestling uh, because I guess shiny muscles read on camera. I don't know. I'm not sure. I and mean, that's not why I oil up. No, no. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently it looks better on TV. And so Randy would oil up in a big way, baby. And. People would tell Randy, like, Andre doesn't like the oil in the wrestling match. So, like, can you just, when you wrestle him, can you not oil up? And he said, no, I got to oil up. Right.
0: As, as an aside, by the way, everybody, it's one of the um, tragic unknown facts of Randy the Macho Man Savage's life. That he was physically incapable of snapping into his own Slim Jim <laughs> because his fingers were so oily. He had to walk around in the street begging common strangers to snap into a Slim Jim forum. <laughs> just denigrating himself. It's sad. Apparently, uh, that's good.
1: <laughs> Apparently, years later, uh, Andre has, has a daughter named Robin, and she wasn't super close with her dad. And we're going to get to that a little bit more. It was very sad. Yeah. But she was trying to get information about her dad and get stories from, wrestl- from wrestlers and friends. and She went to Randy Savage and <laughs> He said, I wish I could tell you more, but your dad just didn't like me. I had nothing but the utmost respect for him, but he just didn't like me. And then he just slipped and slid down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the last anyone ever saw of him. <laughs> that
0: was great. So um, when, when Andre was wrestling one of his enemies, he would dole out like a little more punishment than, than was normal. And uh, one of the punishments he had reserved for Macho Man in particular was he would throw him down to the mat, step on his hair, and then yank him up and leave like tufts of hair on the mat behind him. And he did this for two reasons. One, clearly it hurts to have tufts of hair pulled out of your head. But also he knew Macho Man was very sensitive about losing his hair. So he would yank it out by the footful. <laughs>
1: The footful. Kind of mean. that size 26 footful. (laughs) Right, exactly. That's a lot of hair. Uh, His friends he liked to mess with too because he was a very fun guy in the ring. And, you know, what are you going to do to Andre the Giant? Like, he kind of ran the show when he was in there. So he would mess around with his buddies. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan told a story one time about Andre choking him with a strap, he had that, he was very famous for that one single old school wrestling singlet. Mm-hmm. He choked him with that strap and then would wring out the sweat into his mouth. <laughs> oh, just wait.
0: So good. Are you gonna make me say this? Yes. <laughs> he also would um, like push his opponent down, sit on them and fart. And that sounds pretty bad, but it turns out that an Andre the Giant fart lasted, apparently no joke, for like 30 seconds. Like they would cut to commercial break and come back, and he'd still be farting on this person.
1: And That's um, true. somebody you just Google Andre the Giant fart, and there are like dozens of stories.
0: Yeah. Someone I can't remember who who said it, but somebody in an interview called it an event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think uh, what, this is going pretty well, don't you? I, th- I think so far. You guys think it's going all right? Well, that means that we might release this, which means then that we have to work in, in message break. So we're going to do that if you guys will bear with us. Uh, we will be right back after these messages.
1: All right, we're back, everybody.
0: That's magic, how that works. Magic of editing.
1: So, I don't know if you remember where we left off, but Andre the Giant was parting on people. Right.
0: And we went to commercial break. And we went to commercial break. Just like I
1: said. So, what happened uh, in his career was he got really famous for being what's called the king of the cage match. And if you don't know what wrestling is, uh, and cage matches are also called a battle royale, it's when they would literally put a cage around the ring and they would put 20 dudes in there and they would all just fake hit each other <laughs> until no one could fake hit anymore. <laughs> and then the last man standing was the victor. And right. Andre really dominated these matches.
0: Right. He was known as King of the Cage Match, actually. That's right. Um, because that <laughs> wasn't a joke. I was So... Um, once he hit the American circuit, um, his star rose very, very quickly. Uh, by the mid-'70s, he was the highest-paid wrestler in the world. He was listed as such in the Guinness Book of World Records. They said that he made a smooth 400K That year in 1974, which is a lot of cheese back then. A lot of
1: cheese. It's a lot of cheese now, but it's cute now when you look at what athletes are taking in. Right, exactly. But he was one of the highest paid athletes, period, in the world.
0: He was. And he was also one of the most famous. Uh, There was a 1981 profile of him in Sports Illustrated that said that with the possible exception of Muhammad Ali, he was the most recognizable active figure in sports in the world. That's super famous. That's right.
1: (laughs) And so what are you going to do when you're a super famous wrestler? You're going to start being on TV, yeah. and he did this a lot. He would show up, and if you were around in the 70s and 80s and you watched network television like the rest of us did, you might see him pop up on BJ and the Bear. Right. Yeah. People in Maine had no idea what BJ and the Bear was.
0: Stunned silence.
1: <laughs> he was in a two-parter of BJ and the Bear. Uh, he played Bigfoot, a little on the nose, <laughs> in an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man, and there was this one scene where Lee Majors, a star of Six Million Dollar Man, was supposed to get thrown across the room by Bigfoot, Andre the Giant. And he was a little worried that he was going to get hurt. And he was very pleased to find out that Andre the Giant was, like we said, a very skilled athlete right. and knew how to do this stuff.
0: Right. He sold, the, he sold the pounce, basically. And if you really stop and think about the subtext of that, it strongly suggests that Lee Majors thought pro wrestling was real. Yes. <laughs> Quite possible. I thought he was just going to injure me. I mean, he jumped on me from... What else was the end? (laughs) He was in Conan the Destroyer. Sure. Alongside Schwarzenegger, Wilt Chamberlain, and Grace Jones. The weirdest cast in movie history. It was a weird cast. But it holds up. Does it? Sure. I mean, it didn't hold up originally, so it hasn't gotten any worse. How about that? It holds
1: up as well as it ever did? Right, exactly.
0: He uh, he was on a very famous uh, Honeycombs commercial... Where he played a giant, but, but wait for it, a medieval giant invading a treehouse full of kids because he was hungry for a big honey taste. <laughs> That's why Andre the Giant was pretty terrible. He gets uh, the honeycombs, by the way, <laughs> in the end. Uh,
1: and there was also a very weird time in the 80s where uh, the singer Cindy Lauper somehow got involved in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And would have, uh, she would go to events and take part in some events, and then would have wrestlers be in her videos. The '80s were weird. Everybody, it was a very strange time. Yes, it was. But it just sort of signifies like what a big pop culture icon Andre the Giant was. At he the time. really was.
0: He got the the big hoist at the end of the Goonies theme video. So, oh, he did. Yeah, that's like that's the big shot. That's the <laughs> one you want. You know, the hoist hoisting Cindy Lauper. Everybody's gonna pay attention to that one.
1: Uh, he also liked the ladies, but, uh, by all accounts, he was a true gentleman. Uh, there's a quote here from one of his friends that said, everywhere he goes, there are women, women, women who range wildly in socioeconomic level, age, and even interest in pro wrestling. And he treats them all the same. Splendidly. Andre simply enjoys the company of women and they enjoy his. Mm-hmm. So he seems like a good dude. He was even a good by dude. today's standards.
0: So, um, As wealthy and famous as he was, he had extremely simple tastes. Like, don't forget, he was raised a farm boy in France, and he definitely never lost his roots. So his favorite things to do were, like, hanging out with friends, unless he wanted to be alone, um, playing cards, and specifically Uno and cribbage were his games big time. So, so much so. Hey, cribbage oh, big fans. cribbage fans here. <laughs> so get this. Andre the Giant loved cribbage so much that he would be playing it backstage constantly. And sometimes he would put off going out into the ring during a televised match because he hadn't finished his cribbage game yet. He had to finish that first before he went out there. So he was like, cribbage for life. C for L?
1: Is cribbage with a C? Yeah. Okay. Just <laughs> make sure it wasn't a K have to cut that part out. Yep. So now we're going to get to the part where we talk about Andre the Giant's drinking. Um, if you know anything about the guy, if you saw the documentary on HBO, um, you know that he drank a lot. A lot. Because he liked to drink and he was humongous. <laughs> Put those two things together and you get statistics like this. He was estimated to have consumed about seven thousand calories of alcohol per day. That's right.
0: Somebody went woo.
1: Bud Break, <laughs> Toto, I remember you. <laughs> uh, an average day or an average beer drinking sesh, he would plow down fifty-two cans of beer.
0: <laughs> this is a normal day.
1: Yeah. Uh, or eleven bottles of red wine. Mm-hmm. One wrestler talked about um, one match where Andre drank six bottles of wine before he wrestled the match. And, like, no one could tell. Right. Literally, nobody could tell. Yeah.
0: He, he was uh, famous for drinking planes dry of their mini bottles. Like, just gone. Like, sorry, everybody. You can't have your Bloody Mary because Andre the Giant's here, and he drank all the liquor on the plane. <laughs> and as far as beers go, the most beers he ever drank in one sitting. The highest number we've seen is 156, in one sitting. And some people, more cautious souls, are like, "Don't be foolish. Of course, he didn't drink 156 beers. He drank 119. <laughs> Somewhere between 119 and 156 is the truth. That's
1: astounding.
0: It is astounding. Uh, and he could hold
1: it, but none of this is to say that he didn't get drunk, because he he would definitely get drunk. You can't drink 119 beers. <laughs> Eventually it's going to affect even the largest cow in the field. (laughs) So there were uh, stories of him. uh, One time he and Dusty Rhodes stole horse-drawn carriages in New York City and rode them around the park. (laughs) A couple of stories about him passing out like he would make it back to the hotel and just flop on the floor of the lobby. And what do you do? (laughs) Bellhop, move this man. (laughs) Nope. Nope. So there are two stories. One that they just threw a piano cover over him. <laughs> and another one, and this is the best, that they just made him a feature. They just put put a velvet rope around him. <laughs> it's like the eighth wonder of the world right yeah. there.
0: <laughs> and charges a nickel per visit. Hear him snore. Smell his farts. <laughs> it's an event. Amazing. So... Um, It wasn't all salad days for Andre the Giant while he was wrestling. When he was in Japan, when he was first starting out back in around 1970, um, he made a a rare visit to the doctor. He hated going to the doctor, hated medicine, hated anything like that. Um, But he went to see the doctors in Japan, and while he was there, they diagnosed him with a condition, the condition Chuck was referring to earlier, called acromegaly. Macromegaly acromegaly is a pituitary gland disorder that causes gigantism. So Andre the Giant was, by definition, a giant. And while he was there at the doctor's office, they said, "Um, you know, this is actually something we can easily correct. We just need to kind of get in there, and you have a lesion or a tumor on your pituitary gland. We can treat it, and this will cease. This will stop. And he said, nah, it's Okay. (laughs) And they said, well, wait a minute. If you don't do this, you're probably not going to make it past 50. He said, I said, that's okay. And he leaves. And 12 years later, he goes to the, the hospital again. And the doctors do the same thing. Different doctors at Duke University, they diagnose him with acromegaly. And they say, we can treat this. And he said, no, I'm all good. He said, if this is the size God wanted me to be, then this is the size I'm going to remain.
1: Very sweet. He, uh he might've thought he would shrink or something because part of it was a business decision. Right. He thought he didn't, he couldn't lose his wrestling career by having a surgery. I don't know if they didn't explain it to him well or not, <laughs> right. like, or no. maybe he was just a little younger. Cause he was, he continued to grow into his thirties. He was still growing.
0: Right. And with acromegaly in particular, um, it causes, obviously it's a, a runaway growth hormone that's being produced by your pituitary gland. Cause something's leaning on it. And, um, from this, you keep growing and growing well into your 30s, and your bones grow, too, and often in, like, strange ways. So your face, facial features just change. Um, your bones get way denser and bigger than, than uh, would be normal. Um, you also have secondary stuff like carpal tunnel and arthritis and diabetes and things like this. So um, it's not a good condition to have. And it also can be very psychologically damaging, too. And you could say that it definitely had a, an impact on uh, the psyche of Andre the Giant as well.
1: Yeah, it was very sad. He was, uh, you know, you think about the world is sort of made for average-sized folks, and you don't think about the fact that being seven foot four or seven feet tall or six eight and five hundred pounds, and what that does to your life and just moving around in the world. And it was tough on him. He would find himself seated uh, like on the floor of a van because he couldn't sit in the seat. Um, think about when he's flying on a plane. There are pictures of him on airplanes where mm-hmm. he's occupying three rows of seats, which is great because he was rich and famous and they could accommodate him. But think about going to the bathroom. Like I can barely fit in an airplane bathroom. (laughs) They're terrible. Andre the Giant couldn't even think about it. So he had to suffer indignities like uh, getting flight attendants to hold up curtains so he could urinate in a bucket on a flight, like mm-hmm. on a long flight, if he couldn't hold it that long.
0: And everyone on the plane would just suddenly talk very loudly about anything but the fact that Andre the Giant That's was right. peeing into an ice bucket right <laughs> over there. Oh, uh, by the way, Randy the Macho Man Savage could pop right into any airplane bathroom you please. <laughs> <laughs> right in. I slipped right in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man, nice callback. Uh, But like I said, he did have money and he was famous, so they could accommodate him uh, as much as possible. Vince McMahon bought this extra large van that was uh, super beefed up and it had the roof popped up and an extra large couch inside. I know this is Florida, so you're all like, so a van, right? (laughs) He
0: he had a party van is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a a wizard riding a unicorn painted on the side. You know, a van. They're driven by man.
1: (laughs) But there's one very sad quote he had where he said, I would give much money to be able to spend one day per week as a man of regular size. I would shop, I would go to the cinema, and I would drive around in a sports car or walk down Fifth Avenue and stare at other people for a change.
0: Yeah, I was right. Because here's the thing. He had two choices every day, or really one choice. He could either hide or go out and endure the spotlight. Because uh, I think it was Hulk Hogan said, you know, other wrestlers can put on a disguise, can go like find a dark corner in a bar or restaurant and just kind of lay low. Andre the Giant couldn't do that, whether he was a famous wrestler or not the world felt entitled to gawk at him whenever he was out on the street. And because he was famous, that actually didn't help. It actually made things worse. Because when he went to bars, um, drunks would try to pick fights with him or pull knives on him. And he'd have to, like, break their ribs just to get him to go away, which he did, actually. Um, And then even people who didn't pull knives could still get to him. Like, they would just be like, geez, look at that on that guy he's huge you know that kind of stuff as he's walking down the street and he would actually cry in private like he was a very sensitive guy and that kind of stuff got to him (laughs) jerry we'll retake this in the studio
1: he loved kids but uh kids were afraid of him which was very heartbreaking Um, he was very gentle with kids. He said, I try to be very soft with children. I don't want them to fear me, but often when I go to the homes of people who have kids, they will run for me, even though they've seen me on television. I understand why they do this, but it's a sad feeling for me even so.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty surprising paradox that somebody who's, who's, like the sum total of their issues would be found in this condition and who had such trouble making it through the world would choose pro wrestling as a career because he had to travel all the time. Like during the 70s, he would wrestle 330 to 340 nights a year, almost always in a different city every night. Like this is someone who really valued a leap year. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it meant something to him.
1: Uh, When he got breaks though, those rare breaks that he would get, he would go home. And his home in the United States ended up being in North Carolina in a town called Ellerbee. Uh, He bought a ranch there in 1977, a little ranch house and uh, 49 acres wasn't over the top. It was a very kind of a modest home, but he loved the land. He had Rottweilers and he had cattle and he had horses and he had a Honda ATV that he would ride around. Um, There was this couple uh, Frenchie and Jackie that were his, some of his best friends and they kind of took care of the place while he was gone and that was really, um, that's really where he went to, to just be Andre the Giant, where he knew that he was among friends and loved ones and wouldn't mm-hmm. be stared and gawked at.
0: He also, get this, I didn't realize this. Yumi told me this today. He had a fish camp called Giant's Fish Camp in Sefner, Florida, near Sarasota. Has anybody ever heard of it? Yeah? Well, apparently that was Andre the Giant's Fish Camp. And it turns out my father-in-law and Yumi's grandpa, who's my father-in-law's dad, Regardless.
1: Your grandpa-in-law. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> they would go fishing at this fish camp with Andre the Giant. Like, my father-in-law used to go fishing with Andre the Giant. <laughs> and he said Andre the Giant used to carry this, like, custom-made Adirondack chair with special cushions around in the back of his pickup truck. Oh, wow. Because this was, like, the chair he could sit in. It was his chair. And he would sell rings off of his giant fingers that he'd autographed. And apparently, he gave one to my father-in-law. What? Yes. Yes. <laughs> And he doesn't know where it is. Uh. Yeah, a man is right. We'll find him one day. <laughs> I just picture him
1: telling you the story over dinner as he takes like this napkin ring off <laughs> and just sets it on the table and nobody knows that's right. it.
0: Or a bracelet just kind of slyly yeah. slides off of his hand. I don't know where his, that thing you know, went. Right. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, and... Um, so, Yumi's grandpa and Andre the Giant would speak Polish to one another. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Got some Polish people in the audience like that? Yes. All right. I
1: thought you were going to say it was like Yumi's prom choker or something. <laughs> right.
0: So, you know, the, the classic prom choker <laughs> from Andre the Giant's sweaty fingers. So, um, he also shopped on QVC a lot. One other little fact about him. Very cute.
1: So by the early 1980s, by this point, it was the WWF. It was um, a really, really big spectacle in the U.S., and they had Andre the Giant to thank for a lot of this. Um, Everywhere he went, it was a big deal. It was getting TV viewers from around the world more into wrestling, and wrestlers benefited just from wrestling with him. Even losing against him was a big deal because you know you'd be on TV in front of the biggest audiences or at Madison Square Garden to a sold-out show. And uh, no one benefited more from this relationship than a wrestler named Hulk Hogan.
0: Right. So Hulk Hogan, did you guys know that he started out as a uh, heel, as a bad guy?
1: He was a bad guy. I course. had
0: no idea. Well, he finally made the, the uh, conversion over to a face. And when he did, he became the WWF's like, biggest star at a time when the WWF by this time, they dropped that third W. Right. Um, was as big as it, as it ever was, as a matter of fact. So he was huge. And he had Andre the Giant to thank for that largely. And there was this ongoing kayfabe fake um, rivalry friendship between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. They were kind of frenemies on the WWF. Um, and then WrestleMania II came, I think in 1986. And Andre the Giant won a 20-man battle royale. And he said, you know what, that's it, I'm good. I'm gonna go into semi retirement. I'm not going to officially retire, but my body's breaking down from acromegaly. I drink 52 beers a day on an average day. I think I'm good. I'm just gonna go off and rest a little bit. And rather than wrestle, I'm gonna focus on a little film I just got hired to to be uh, an actor in called The Princess Bride. (laughs) I saw people pre-clapping
1: when you said a little (laughs) film. This lady on the front yes, row. The went.
0: Princess.
1: <laughs> he said it. So uh yeah. Fans of that movie? Anyone? Clearly. I've never never met anyone that's like, eh. Sucked. Right. Totally fake. <laughs> <laughs> you know that the a few weeks ago they announced they were remaking it.
0: Yeah, you told me and that.
1: People are going, yeah, right? People are going nuts and then other people are like, "Who cares? It doesn't take away from the original." No, it does. Like, people are arguing on the internet if you believe that.
0: This is no normally I do see, I, I am kind of like it doesn't do anything to detract from the originals. Don't, don't go see it. This one violates the laws of the universe <laughs> remaking the Princess Bride. This one matters I totally everybody. Totally agree. Let's get down the street. Cuz
1: you know that Fezick is going to be like The Rock or somebody. <laughs> and I like The Rock. Sure. He's
0: fine. He'll try a little too hard. <laughs> he couldn't be Fezzik. Now I'm worried the rock is going to be Fezzik. I... <laughs> Who else? I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, there's a fruit fly gene. Did you know this? That's called the Fezzik gene. Because if you remove it, it produces fruit flies of unusual size. That's right. That's not a joke. The last part was a joke. It wasn't really a joke. It was a <laughs> little yap. And the end of it. I wish I was not here. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> this part was supposed to be funny. The
1: middle part, sort of be a little sad, and then be funny again at the end. Yeah. <laughs> we can cut all that out. Yeah, we will. Can't cut
0: reality out right now.
1: Though, no, that's, the that's right. They love you. You're. This is your second home. <laughs> See. Just <laughs> say another insider joke about the billboard guy or whatever If you feel like you're
0: losing him and, uh, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, we know enough to stay away from Daytona Beach, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: great <laughs> I don't even know where I am now Princess Bride, that's where we are So Rob Reiner hired him on the advice of the writer of the book and he said, there's this guy. You should hire Andre the Giant. Rob Reiner had never heard of him. Which um, is like, what? I know. He's like more famous than Muhammad Ali. But Rob Reiner, like, I don't know where he was at the time. He was on drugs. <laughs> it's not true. It could be true. <laughs> so uh, he was on All of the Family. That's what he was doing. So he didn't know who Andre the Giant was. They sent him in to audition. And he couldn't understand what he was saying. And he was like, what am I supposed to do here? And they said, just hire Andre the Giant. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Trust me, he fits the part, and he's one of the biggest stars in the world. And he went,
0: okay. yeah." And that's, sure. it was
1: kind of that easy.
0: He said, we needed a giant. This guy was a giant. I just hired the <laughs> giant.
1: <laughs> so Andre did not stop drinking uh, during the film shoot. He continued on his normal ways, and uh, there were three gentlemen uh, named Chris Sarandon, uh, Carrie Elwes, or Elvis Apparently, is how you really pronounce it. Really? Yeah, I've been saying l my whole life.
0: Yeah, I've been saying Elvis, not Elvis. He's riding the king's coattails <laughs> there, huh? And uh, Mandy Patinkin
1: all thought that they could hang with Andre the Giant at the bars. <laughs> they were dead wrong. And they could not. So many, many days on set, there were reports of those three guys, Andre showing up being like, let's go, let's do this. And those three kind of dragging their heels is probably the nicest <laughs> right. way to say
0: it. He also... Uh, When he checked out of his room at the London Hyatt after the end of his shoot, um, he had a $40,000 bar tab to pay to settle up, which means that he drank nearly all the contents of the minibar in his room. (laughs) 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 little hotel humor? Yeah. (laughs) See, so that began as a fact, and then I added a joke (laughs) at the end. Oh, man.
1: It's so much more fun than in the studio. Yeah. So, I mean, no offense. We have a good time. I I didn't take offense until you said that. (laughs) hadn't even crossed my mind. I didn't want to make it sound like we don't have fun in in the studio, but when you add 800 people, it's always more
0: fun. No, I know. I'm there. I know we have fun. All right.
1: It's like Bud bud Break up in here.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of towels snapping in the studio. We have a good time.
1: A lot of miso? A lot. Uh, So Andre was really very sweet through this whole production and very nervous about his performance. He really, really wanted to do a good job because he was on a movie set and it was a big movie and it was a really big deal to him and he was very nervous. Um, When he went to Toronto, I can say Toronto here. Yeah. It's Toronto, apparently.
0: Just in Toronto. Yeah. (laughs) Everywhere else is Toronto.
1: Uh, In Toronto, at the premiere in 1987, his friend Tim White said he was actually shaking nervous during the premiere of the movie because he wasn't sure how the other actors were going to accept him. Um, Afterward, when they cheered and patted him on the back and everything, he was the happiest guy in the world, and so was I for him. Yep, it's very sweet.
0: Yeah, he was a good friend, huh? Um, He loved this character so much, he would carry a VHS copy of The Princess Bride around with him. Not like in his bag or in his hotel room, like around with him, right? He would say, look. right. It's probably the scale, actually. <laughs> if anyone remembers VHS tapes. Right. <laughs> um, well, you got me with that. Yeah. Um, man, you just threw me off. Oh, 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 so when he was on tour, well, like uh, wrestling afterward, he would, he would invite, like, fellow wrestlers up that he was friends with to, like, hang out in his room. And while he was there, he'd be like, hey, here's the, uh, here's the room service, man. You want to order anything you want to eat or drink? And he'd wait till it arrived, and then whoever was there would start eating and drinking, and he'd be like, hey, you want to watch The Princess Bride? <laughs> now that I have you trapped? <laughs> yeah. And apparently, so Lanny Poffo is um, Randy Savage's brother. And, um, and Andre was good friends with Lanny Poffo. Hated Randy, loved Lanny. He did this to Lanny six times on one tour. <laughs> By the end of the tour, Lanny was like dodging, like hiding behind plants when he saw Andre because he didn't want to get invited up to watch The Princess Bride again. I can't believe he kept falling for it. Like after four times, he was like, all right. <laughs>
1: I'll order the steak, but we're not going to watch the movie, right?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no, here,
1: have dessert, have dessert.
0: All right. But he he said he said Andre would point at the TV like when his part was coming up, and then when his part came and went, he'd laugh and clap and ask how he did every time. So like cute. he loved that movie, and he loved that he, he had had a part in I it. I love it.
1: Uh, so during the shoot, his body was breaking down pretty bad, though. Uh, there was that one scene where he has to catch Robin Wright, uh, who jumps into his arms. And Rob Reiner, when he hired him, thought, like, this is great. We have this this athlete and this wrestler, and we won't have to hire a stunt person, and he can do all this stuff. Turns out he couldn't do any of it because of his back. And they had to lower Robin Wright down, who weighed like 100 pounds on uh, cables that they then had to uh, Greek out, industry term. <laughs> Did you hear that? Ooh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty impressive.
1: And uh, yeah, so it was was a big deal. His body was breaking down; he was in really bad shape. He kind of soldiered through because it was important to him. But he found himself at the end of Princess Bride in pretty rough shape physically.
0: He did. He also found himself being visited—a surprise visit by Vince McMahon Jr., who had by then dropped the W from WWWF, just made it WWF, and had overseen like its meteoric rise. Uh, And he showed up in England trying to convince Andre the Giant to come back to wrestling. And Andre was like, no, no, I really shouldn't do this. It's probably the worst thing I could do. My body's breaking down. I'm in bad shape. I can't even hold 100-pound Robin Wright pen. Um, it was, it's, it's terrible. The, I was paraphrasing him. Um, <laughs> and Vince McMahon wouldn't take no for an answer and finally managed to break down his resistance and talked him into getting back surgery and arranged for it in England. And that is, I said before, um, Andre the Giant didn't even like to go to the doctor's office. Wouldn't take pills, wouldn't take medications, didn't even take illicit drugs in the 80s, in wrestling. (laughs) Like he just, all he did was drink. That was his medication, drinking. Um, So the fact that he agreed to undergo back surgery, it's pretty baffling, but he did. He underwent back surgery in 1986, like I said, in England. And there's some urban legends about the surgery, like that they had to use oversized Um, surgical tools meant for a large animal veterinarian may or may not be true, or that the anesthesiologist um, had to guess at how much anesthesia to use. I'm sure
1: that's super correct.
0: Sure. But he did it based on um, how much alcohol Andre the Giant drank.
1: Like how much does it take for him to fall out in the lobby of a hotel? Exactly.
0: (laughs) What they call a piano cover night. How much does that take?
1: So uh, it depends on who you're talking to. to see how this is viewed vince mcmahon and big wrestling fans um think they did him a big favor by revitalizing his career and bringing him back in the spotlight um other people like us who are a little more contrarian to that point of view say no you took advantage of this guy who's obviously breaking down um just to sell more tickets and to exploit him uh kind of till the end of his
0: life and then kicking him out into the cold when you're done with him which some people say, boo, Vince McMahon, <laughs> boo. Ooh,
1: there you go. So now we wait, get wait. to, what?
0: We have to take another message. Box. Oh, that's right. I just realized. Sorry. The spirit of the lizard on the toilet just spoke to me. <laughs> it said, Josh, don't blow it. This is a really good one. You may release it. You got to get a second one in there. So everybody. And don't pee on me. If you'll, uh, if you'll uh, bear with us. Oh, yeah, really. It's a pretty dangerous spot. Um, if you'll bear with us, we will be right back.
1: All right, we're back again, everyone.
0: <laughs> you guys like that every time, huh? To, uh,
1: to recap, where we left Andre the Giant, body breaking down, Vince McMahon brings him back, and now we stumble upon a little event called WrestleMania III, Yep. which, if you're a wrestling fan, it's this legendary event. It was held in Detroit at the Pontiac Silverdome. They had plenty of smoke. Trust me. <laughs> 90,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. And it was one of the biggest uh, sporting events sort of in history up to that point.
0: Yep. And for this match, which Hulk Hogan wrote, and when Lee Majors heard that, he's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, <laughs> you, uh, what Hulk Hogan you're... wrote the match. But Andre the Giant was, was toying with him for weeks leading up to it. Because in the match, Hulk Hogan wins and becomes like the champ of the WWF. And it's a big deal. But um, when he would say like, hey, Andre, have you, have you seen the script? Are you good with it? Andre would just say something like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll work it out in the ring or whatever. <laughs> and would not tell Hulk like, yes, you're going to win. We'll go along with your script. And in fact, Hulk Hogan didn't know he was going to win until the very end of this match. When Andre the Giant calls for a, uh, a body slam and a leg drop. And apparently, when Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant, he pulled a bicep and a quadricep, trying to pick him up. And Andre the Giant was even, like, pressing off of him to help him. And Hulk Hogan still injured himself, which you're going to do when you pick up Andre the Giant. It's just part and parcel with it. But he did win, and the crowd went nuts.
1: That's right. Uh, After WrestleMania three, he continued wrestling because the WWF sort of kicked him to the curb. It was very sad. So he went back to where he started. He went to Japan and to Mexico and wrestled on those circuits for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, he fought his last match in Japan just one month before he died, and by that time he had wrestled more than five thousand matches in his career
0: five thousand times it 's crazy yeah, so toward the end, um, he was like, "Nobody kicks Andre the giant to the curb i 'm going to wrestle on my own terms and he started touring all over the place and he became a little more of like a booster. So he was like big time into tag team matches by then because, well, one, he could walk out to the ring um, with his arm slung over his tag team partner, which, you know, people in the crowd was like, oh, that's great. They're like total teammates. But really, Andre was using the guy as a cane. And then also, he could just kind of stand in the corner and like play up the drama, but not actually wrestle. And the fans, though, they were, they were just happy he was there.
1: Yeah, they didn't care. Just having him in the building was enough. It yep. was really, really pretty cool. Yeah. So here we are at the end, uh, very sadly. Uh, Andre's father, Boris, uh, was approaching death in January of 1993 at the age of 87. And Andre went to see him in France before he died. He stayed there for his father's funeral And then he would die two weeks after that.
0: Yeah, in France. So on the last day uh, on earth for Andre the Giant, he did what he loved more than anything else. He hung out with his oldest friends from his childhood in France. His family there played tons of cribbage and drank lots and lots of really good French wine.
1: That's right. Farted on everybody.
0: Yep. (laughs) And he got dropped off at a hotel in Paris that he was staying at. And he, he went up the stairs and that was the last time anyone saw him alive. The next morning when uh, he was supposed to be picked up, they went up to his room and knocked when he didn't appear and finally opened up the door and found Andre the Giant dead in bed. He had died in in the night of heart failure because the thing with acromegaly is um, most of your body grows and grows and grows, but the heart doesn't. And the heart gets taxed over, uh, over, you know, 46 years in the case of Andre the Giant until it just can't beat any longer. And so that's what happened to Andre the Giant. His heart just gave out. Uh,
1: so there wasn't a crematorium in France that could handle his body. So they uh, flew him back to North Carolina in a giant custom-built coffin. And apparently, did the WWF steal the coffin? That's a word you
0: could use, yeah. After they flew him back? Yeah, yeah, they didn't, like... Like roll his body out mid-flight no. or something. They just basically waited until he was I meant cremated steal it
1: to fly him back. No, 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 no. Okay, they flew him back, then stole it.
0: Yes, gotcha. to like basically take the headquarters on for, to put on display. Uh, you see? Okay. You so, see, Chuck? You see? <laughs> We're working it out mid-show.
1: So, in 1993, the WWE, at this point, established its Hall of Fame, and Andre the Giant was the very first and only inductee in that inaugural class. That's pretty and, cool. And uh, every year now, the WWE still holds a battle royale uh, named after Andre the Giant in his honor.
0: Which is, if you stop and think about it, the pinnacle of human existence. <laughs> to have a battle royale held in your name every year, like, each one of us in this room should aspire <laughs> to that in this life. Okay. Let's one make day. a pact right now, everybody. We can do it. So um, I
1: mentioned his daughter, Robin, earlier uh, and the fact that they weren't close. And this is sort of one of the sad parts of, the, of his life was that, you know, when you're wrestling 5,000 times in a career in 330 nights a year, you're not like anyone in the entertainment business who tours and travels a lot. You're not going to be around your family much. So he had a daughter that he did not get to see that much. He had an ex wife that he did not get along with at all, which didn't help matters. I
0: don't think they were ever actually married.
1: Oh, no? Just an ex. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, an ex that didn't get along with, so they weren't not like working it out so he could see Robin. Um, There was one time where he tried to have her flown to North Carolina. And she was sort of scared to fly. So he sent his good friend, Jackie, to go collect her and meet her at the airport. And at the last second, she kind of backed out.
0: Yeah, because she was like, I'm going to hang out with my dad, who I've met twice. And my mom's not allowed to come. And I'm nine years old. I'm a little freaked out. That's right. So that trip didn't work out. They did keep in touch, mostly over the phone. But like whenever he came through town for wrestling, like she would come and hang out with him backstage. And Jackie McCauley, um, one of his two closest friends, later said that no matter what it looked like from the outside, Andre really, really loved his daughter. And when he died, he left a a sum to Jackie, a sum to his other best friend, Frenchie, and then the rest was left to Robin. Yeah,
1: including the rights to his likeness and image, uh, which I think we all know is where the real money
0: sat. (laughs) Right. That's the sweetest plum.
1: So uh, I think she uh, was trying to do a documentary or something about him for a while, at the very least, interviewing like old friends of his so she could learn more about him. Right. It's very sweet. Yes. Uh, so he had a quote toward the end of his life, uh, oh, I'm sorry, at the height of his career, where he said, I've had good fortune, and I am grateful for my life. If I were to die tomorrow, I know I've eaten more good food, drunk more beer and fine wine, and had more friends, and seen more of the world than most men ever will. I've had everything in life but a family, and I hope to have that one day. For now, I know a family wouldn't work because of my traveling, but one day, who knows, I might myself have a giant for a grandson.
0: And that is Andre the Giant, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.